You ever had one of those ideas that you always thought you understood, but you completely uh, missed? Talked about misheard lyrics before. You know, those lyrics like uh, they're recorded one way, but we hear it in a different manner. You know, Lucille by Kenny Rogers. Lucille. Some people here with 400 children in a crop in the field. <laughs> Four hungry children. I'm a believer by the monkeys, you know, then I saw her face, now I'm going to leave her. Um, <laughs> not quite how the song goes. We will rock you by Queen, you know, kicking that cat all over the place. So, um, you know, somebody didn't like cats, people think. When I was young, Garth Brooks had a song come out called Rodeo. Um, you know, and it's the boots and the chaps and the cowboy hats, it's the spurs, and we always thought it said and let him go, but it wasn't let him go, it was the latigo. Um, but then there's another kind of misheard lyric uh, or idea. The idea that's heard correctly but not fully understood. I remember being young, uh, you know, and everybody in my family, even my dad in some some instances was a truck driver. So uh, we loved, of course, good old country music and we loved Alabama, and Alabama had that song, Roll On, right? You know, it was Roll On, and you know, Alabama could really get the blood pumping. So, uh, you know, there's the song, and talking about Daddy, and how Daddy was always gone on the road, and they had that song they sang, you know, Roll On Highway, Roll On Along, but then there was one night, there was a, an accident, and they found his truck somewhere, and Daddy wasn't there, and you know, Mama was you know on the phone when she got the phone call and she hung up the phone and then this line came apart came up across that says the man upstairs was listening when she asked him to bring daddy home now, i love that line you know because but the man upstairs was listening Woo, it's good stuff i'm nine years old i'm thinking there's some dude in the apartment upstairs who's listening on her phone call. And I don't know how. I have no idea how he had any interaction with those highway patrolmen and Bond and Daddy, but he did. I thought that for years. It took me a while to figure out that the man upstairs in that song wasn't the guy in the apartment above him. It was God. And, you know, I, I heard the lyric correctly. I knew exactly what the lyric said, but I had misunderstood what was meant by that lyric. And the same thing kind of happens in our text this morning. We're still in our series, journeying through that life of Jesus, that thing that you do. Um, there is something here that John's going to explain that people have always heard but didn't fully understand. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week there in verse 7 of chapter 2. And we're just going to read four verses again. We don't go very far in this series, but it, it is what it is. Uh, and there in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 7, it says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you and we praise you for all of your blessings. 
Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, John starts here and says something right off the bat. He says, the commands of Jesus are not new commands. I'm not telling you anything new. You know, it's funny, if you remember a few years back, Rick Warren put out his, his books, you know, Purpose Driven Church and Purpose Driven Life, and he would tell you that I'm not writing anything new. I'm repackaging what's always been said. And here, John is writing to these churches and he's saying, I'm not telling you anything that you haven't already heard. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. And that's kind of how we come to this text this morning because we're talking about an issue that we talk about over and over and over again in churches. We're talking about a command that's always been there. It's not a new command. It's an old command. But what's happening here for John is that his opponents are trying to start demonizing a little bit ethical behavior. And they're not saying that ethical behavior is wrong. They're just saying that you really don't have to do it because if what you're preaching is, is this gospel of grace, I shouldn't have to do this anymore. And if you tell me that I need to do this, then you're just really becoming, well, as we would say today, you're being a legalist. That's what we say today, right? Well, following those things is just legalism. Following those things is just being something that we shouldn't be. And so I'm really not going to listen to what you say if you tell me I need to do those things. Because Jesus came to, to fulfill the law. And since He fulfilled the law, those things don't matter as much. And so if you tell me to follow Him, what you're telling me is that I need to be a legalist. And I've been told that's wrong, so I shouldn't do that. There's a lot of confusion going on. Even in the church today, we're still battling the same thing that John was battling back then. People who don't understand the commands of Jesus. Because the truth is, living a life influenced by the Old Testament law doesn't make you a legalist. Now, let's go over what I did just say there and what I didn't say there. What I didn't say there is you have to follow every law that you read in the Old Testament. Because the truth is, there are a lot of things in the Old Testament that were written as kingdom laws for the nation of Israel as they did things the way that God called them to do. And so those things don't really apply so much to us. You know, sowing your field with two tops of seed. I don't know that I'm really being unfaithful to God if I do that. Wearing clothes with two tops of material. Thankfully, most of us don't follow that command. Or we would all be naked in here today. Because most of us are wearing some kind of blend on our body. And that's just the truth of the matter. But what I did say was, if there are moral and ethical laws of the Old Testament that are important, then maybe we can follow them. And if our life shows that, it doesn't mean that we're doing something that has taught us down and it has called us something that we're not. Following the Old Testament law and having a life influenced by the Old Testament law doesn't make me a legalist. It, it doesn't mean that, that I am adding things to what we need. There's a difference between a guide and a requirement. And, and it's funny, if you start looking at things even in this world, you look, you know, if you have a kid going through, you know, application processes for college, 
there are guides and there are requirements. And some things guide you and you, should, you would do well to do these things. And there are certain things that if you do not do, they will not accept the application and you will not be accepted. And that's just the way it works. A guide is just that. The Old Testament for us is a guide. Why is it a guide? Because we have Jesus. And so when we see the Old Testament, we can know what our life should look like. Why? Because these laws were written so that Israel could understand where they would fail. And so when we follow those laws, when we have that, when we have that as a guide, we can go, okay, would God want me to do this? If there's a part in the Bible that says you shouldn't do that, you may want to really stop and think it over and pray about it and say, God, is this a law that would bring you glory? Because it's okay to read the Old Testament. It's okay to, to, to have a lot of our theology come from there because the truth is, that's most of our Bible. It's hard for me when, when people say, I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, great. But what about the rest of this stuff? There's a lot more there. And everything here is informed by everything back here. We can't truly understand this without understanding this. And that's just the truth. I remember... <laughs> the church once and we we began in Genesis on Wednesday night and we just began to work through we worked through from Genesis all the way to I want to say Kings at some point and then for some reason they you know we jumped over to Revelation and it was fun because they would go oh that sounds a lot like that you think there's a reason for that it's written that way and so, when our lives are influenced by the Old Testament, it doesn't mean that, that we're a legalist. It doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing things and we're telling people they have to live a certain way. James 2a says, indeed, if you keep the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. I would suggest that a life that truly follows Jesus will naturally conform to the moral law of the Old Testament. A life that truly follows Jesus and does the things that Jesus calls us to do, is naturally going to conform to the moral law of the Old Testament. You're not going to be able to follow Jesus and be standing against God's moral law of the Old Testament. Jesus is going to call you to do something that God would tell you not to do. It's not possible. If you are simply using your energy and your time to love your neighbor as you love yourself, everything else is going to fall into place. Because, well, okay, here's a rabbit. You have to love yourself first. You have to love the person that God made you. Because if you don't love yourself, it doesn't do any good to love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you hate yourself, you're not going to love anybody very well. But God created you, and He put a new heart in you when you accepted Him. And what you were loving is, is not the sinful, old, dying self. What you were loving is what God has created and placed in you. And when you're loving that, if you love your neighbor in that way, what does that mean for what our love looks like? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So our thoughts should always literally be, how will this affect them? And would I want to feel this way? Would I want this? Man, 
that, that looks a whole lot different than, than our normal life. How will this decision that I make affect those around me? How will this decision on how I treat them affect them? Would I want to be treated in this way? Would, would I treat myself in this way? Would I do this? You know, it, it's so easy to, to think that, okay, well, when, when somebody, when I need to do something, I'm just going to, I'll be nice. Well, are you just nice to yourself? Is that all you are? Most of us aren't just nice to ourselves. Sometimes we like to pamper ourselves. We like to treat ourselves. We, we like to, you know, we like to go out of the town. We look in the mirror and we say, man, you look good. <laughs> That's kind of how we do things. We like that person. How often do we hold back to other people? <laughs> love your neighbor as you love yourself. So that means I give them more than what I thought I should give. goes on to say, but I am writing you a new command. He's not bipolar. Promise. What makes Jesus' command here new is the deeper understanding we have through a relationship with Him. Jesus changes everything. Everything. Jesus changes it all. It's one thing to know that I should love my neighbor as myself and not have Jesus. Because at that point it is this nebulous thing out here that I know that I'm supposed to do because guess what? Even the Old Testament tells us that over in the book of Leviticus to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't just pull that out of his head. He pulled that out of the law. So that nebulous thing is there, but when you have Jesus, the command is deeper. The command means more. Because suddenly, you know what it is to be loved. The things that we thought were love turn out not to be love so much when we compare it to what Jesus gave and did. When we have Jesus, suddenly we understand what love is. Because, especially in our world, where we define love as that feeling. We define love as, as, as the butterflies, as the ooey-gooeys or whatever else. You know, I, you fall into love and you fall out of love. That's a lot of falling. And when you're always falling, you're going to end up pretty low. But that's not love. Love is so much more. And when we have Jesus and we have that relationship with Jesus, suddenly we understand that love is so much more. Love isn't that I have to feel a certain way about someone. Love is putting their needs and their wants and their desires above mine. That's tough. The biggest issue in churches today is we have a love problem. And now, don't get offended, or maybe get offended, I don't know. Um, I'm not saying we don't love each other, but sometimes our love has limits. Sometimes I'll love somebody until I have to give this up. I'll love somebody until I don't get my way. 
I'll love somebody until there's a choice and I have to give them what they want rather than having what I want. If everyone around the world came to church on Sunday morning wanting the person next to them to get out of worship what they need, what would our churches look like? But that's not what we come doing. Most of the time we come thinking, I want what I want. And it makes me, as long as it makes me feel good and comfortable, I'm good with that. But that's not really love. I know, that's, that's an uncomfortable talk. And Carrie and I got married. We were polar opposites in worship. Polar opposites. Couldn't get any I was 100% more comfortable, more passionate about piano-driven hymns. That's who I was. And I loved it. I still love the hymns. There is a theology in the hymns that I don't get other places sometimes. Carrie came from a church where they never sang any hymns. It was all new stuff. And so, we had to find a way to meet in the middle. We had to come together. And we began to find that when we wanted the other to have what the other needed, we both began to have what was needed because we were putting each other's needs in front of our own. And Carrie, we're, we hadn't been married very long. When I got called to a church, and the day I moved in, I was told that my music minister died two days before. Harriet never sang any hymns. Guess who the new music leader was? And she got up there and she began to, to stress as she went through the hymnal. But I don't know that song. Okay, well, let's go over it. But I don't know that song. I said, but the people do. And the people want it. And we're called to love people. And as she began to read and as she began to serve in that way, she began to soften and her heart began to change. But the same thing happened to me as I began to listen to music that she wanted and she liked. Because I'll tell you, to me, it wasn't that I didn't like contemporary Christian music. I mean, I had... This is going to date me a little bit. I had cassettes and CDs, you know, that I carried around in my car of all sorts of different Christian music. Because one of, one of my personal ministries was, I love to find people who said, well, I would listen to Christian music, but I like this band, and I can't find anything that sounds like it. And I would go, just one second. And I would open it up, and I would give them a CD and say, here you go. And they would come back to me and go, oh, because I love music. But it took me a while to transition that into worship because that wasn't for me worship. But as I learned to love Carrie better and she learned to love me better, our worship taste began to merge into something that was even more beautiful because we were putting each other's needs in front of our own. And that's what we're called to be in the church. We should want everyone else to have their needs met because that's what God has called us to be. 
Because I've said it before, if you come to church not expecting something, you're not going to get something. I don't care what songs we sing. If I come expecting for God to move, God's going to move. Because God's going God's to see that here I am, Lord, use me, and He's going to move. I mean, and there have been times where we're singing a song, and I go, I don't even know that song. And God says, boom, there it is. And I'm like, We have to learn to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm following you. And sometimes that means I don't get my way. And sometimes that means that I have to give somebody else what they want. But that's okay, God, because I know that you have called me to love my neighbor as myself. And I know that me, me, I want what I want. So if I want what I want, that means they want what they want. So if I'm going to love them as I would love me, I'm going to give myself what I want. So I should try to help them get what they want. Whoa! What? No, that can't be. Yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself. But it goes deeper. Man. We have a responsibility that we don't like to have either because, you know, sometimes I'll read something and God will say, Troy, it's time to change that. Is it loving someone as, their, as yourself to let someone continue on a path that you know is going to lead to their destruction and not warn them about it? That's, that's not loving anybody. That's apathy. Funny, the, 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 the opposite of, of love isn't hate, it's apathy. It's not caring. Jesus changes everything. Jesus turns your expectations on their head. It's different. Through Jesus, we have a new standard, even as I loved you, and a new motive. God so loved us to follow this command. Love others as I loved you. As I loved you. How did Jesus love us? He died. He gave up heaven. I mean, when I think about my brother talked about this morning as we started that first song. When I ponder God, I ponder Jesus, who existed in the beginning, in perfect union with the Father and the Spirit in heaven, and loved us so much that He gave that up to come here. That's the first step. The first step was giving up heaven. He walked this earth for 30 some odd years. That's the second step. And then he died on the cross. That's how Jesus loved us. The life of Jesus and his command to follow more fully explain God's command to love. Because it is not possible to be a believer and hate your brother. It's not possible. You cannot... Be a believer and hate your brother. Wow. It says if you hate your brother, you were deceived and you were still in darkness. Here literally it says stumbling around. John 13, 35 says, By this everyone will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Life with Jesus brings the true life, while life without Jesus brings life and darkness. If you have love, you have sight, and you have no cause to stumble. You cannot hate your brother and be a believer. 
idea of hate being this strong feeling, right? Oh, I hate them. Really? We throw around these love these words a lot, right? I love my wife, but I love pizza. I don't think they're the same. The strong feelings, yeah, I may hate olives. Or I may hate, I don't know, mustard. But hate here is that idea of apathy. That idea of not caring for. That idea of doing away with. That idea of cutting off. You can't do that to be a believer. <coughs> So what is John saying then? John's saying, if you don't have a love for your brother, in fact, if your brother doesn't seem to matter to you, you need to examine your relationship. If your heart isn't breaking for those people who don't know Jesus, you need to examine your relationship. If you don't care whether or not those you love are involved in a relationship with Jesus, you need to check your relationship. Because it's impossible to be a believer and have that attitude. You need to stop and say, okay, Lord, show me how to change. Give me the love that I need. Because the fourth mark of an authentic Christian life is unconditional, unending love for others around you, especially other believers. That's the mark. Unconditional, unending love. Woo. That's, that's, that's a high, that's a high, lofty goal. Because most times our love has conditions. <laughs> we have conditions. I'll love you as long as you don't go to the bar some Friday night. I'll love you as long as your idea of what it means to follow God is my idea of what it means to follow God. I'll love you until this point, but that's not the love we're called to. We're called that no matter where you've been, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been playing with, no matter where you've fallen, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what it is, our love shouldn't end. No matter what it is, we should say, okay, there's grace. Because guess what? Grace was given to me so I can give grace to you. It was given to me. Who am I to withhold grace from you? Who am I to say, well, three strikes, son, and you're out. No! That's not what God said. God said grace unending. Grace unending. His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. We are called to have that kind of love. We are called to have the love of Jesus for those around us and say, my love doesn't stop. You hurt me, but I'm still going to love you. You failed me, but I'm still going to love you. I'm going to love you because I'm supposed to love you because God loved me. And every time I fail, I think He's going to not love me anymore, but He still loves me and He still calls me home and He still scoops me up and He still showers me with grace and mercy. So I'm going to do the same. And I don't care where you've been and I don't care how far you've fallen and I don't care what language you're using. I don't care any of those things. What I care is that God loved me so I'm going to love you because I know that God loves you. And when I get there... I want to know you're going to be there too. 
That is the basis of our love. When I get there, I want to know you're going to be there too. I want to know that when the roll is called up yonder, that you're going to be there. You know, it's so hard sometimes because I've known pastors who won't sing the song when we all get to heaven. Because some people in the room might not be getting there. I want to, I want to know that when I get there, you're going to be there. That's, that's why we love. We love in spite of the flaws. We love in spite of the mistakes. We just continue to love. Why? Because God loved us. Maybe this morning there's been someone that's been so hard for you to love. Maybe you've been like, God, I want to love them, but they keep getting me mad, but they keep hurting me, but they keep doing things against me. And God, I really want to love them, but I don't know how. Now's the time to say, God, I'm giving it to you. I can't love them on my own, but you can help me love them. But you can give me the love that you have for me because I know I fall every day. God, show me how to love them. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve the missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church of membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never taken that step to say, I want to know Him. Now's the time. You walked out to the Detroit. I want to know Jesus, so we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need this morning, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.